Welcome to today's episode of Fire in the Belly. This is where we get to hear some pretty inspiring stories from some amazing people. You know, it's always an absolute pleasure to sit down, take time out and have a warts and all conversation about their journey. I'm always intrigued by what it's taken for people to get to where they are today. And hopefully in this interview, we get to hear some more about that. From this, my mission is to help people to find their own fire in their belly. And from that, to live the mightiest version of you. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy today's guest. Success is a process, not an event. Hello and welcome to Fire in the Belly. Today we have myself, Mighty Pete, and we have the Kathy DeMarcos. Good morning to you. Good afternoon. Good evening. Good, good morning, I think it is, in your side of the world. It is indeed. Good morning, Pete. Lovely to be here. <laughs> Great to have you on. Calling in all the way from the Sydney, the uh, other side of the hemisphere. So it's wonderful to have you on. Thank you so much. So to give everyone a bit of a background, so Kathy DeMarcos is a global business advisor and an award-winning mentor. Fantastic. She is a indef... I'm going to get this word right. Indef... <laughs> You're going to have to read that word for me. You know, you a big word here. Indefatigable. Indefatigable. I will learn that word. An indefatigable philanthropist, TEDx speaker, and author who is focused, future-focused and works from her place of genius to actualize goals and dreams for people in business and personally. She is known as the alchemist in business. Her company, Solutions to You, was born from her passion to serve and to create sustainable impact. She is highly sought after all over the world as a professional advisor and motivational voice with more than three decades of experience and dedicates her time to sharing knowledge that combines people, business, and situational skills to deliver tangible tools and skills. Her values take center stage and business becomes honest and expressive as she helps people to be comfortable with being uncomfortable, unlearn patterns that don't serve them, and help them to step forward with clarity that will enable them to reach their goals. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Listen, it's great to have you on. So welcome to the show, first of all. It's great to mm-hmm. have you here. Thank you. Thank you, Pete. <laughs> so tell us. Really, what Karen or Kathy, sorry, is your fire in the belly? Honestly, it really is just to raise the baseline globally. I've often thought about this, you know, isn't it amazing that irrespective of um, how smart you are, how funny you are, um, who you are, is not necessarily actually going to enable you to shine unless you're actually seen by people So, or unless you're actually privileged, I guess, in many ways um, to be able to be seen. So for me, it's really raising the baseline and giving people a voice and an opportunity irrespective of where they are born. Um, so I think everything that I actually do, especially over the last few years, has been with so much intention on creating a path, creating an opportunity, enabling people, particularly in developing countries, um, to to know that they're actually valued and to give them a path, an opportunity. Um, So I started this side, I guess, hustle. It's not really a hustle. It's actually my passion. I do leadership development, you know, and I run programs. I started to do that some seven years ago, only through, I guess, um, my daughter 
uh, finishing school um, decided that she wanted to go and volunteer and Ebola had just broken out and she said, when I finish school, um, I want to do some volunteer work before I start uni. And, of course, after her research, she actually um, she landed in Tanzania. She said, That's, this is where I'm going. And so she sat around the you know, dining table and shared her vision and, and my husband went, Ebola's broken out. Why are you going to Africa? Um, and it was really, it was really fascinating to actually go through that process. And in hindsight, you know, I take my hat off to her, but she said, well, that's where I'm really going to create impact. And honestly, Pitt, I don't think that I actually quite understood my journey through her journey um, at that point in time. But for me, it was in that moment, it was, I need to honour what she wants to do. And I need to respect my husband's concerns, you know. So I went straight into mitigating risk and solution focus. <laughs> How do I do that? And so I ended up, I guess, going on this journey with her. She took off for one month um, and then I actually followed her for the next two months. Um, through that process, uh, so much changed. You know, when you reach crossroads in your life and, you know, it happens, oh, to all of us at different stages. Well, this is probably the most significant one in the most recent of years for me. Um, so here we are, you know, I arrive at this airport and it's late at night and everybody's being picked up and I'm still standing in the airport with a security guard and he says, ma'am, I've got to close the airport. There's no more flights until the morning. <laughs> So, you know, I said to him, um, sure, okay, I can sit outside. Uh, I had no idea, you know, is anybody coming? Are they, are they late? Like, is it going to be safe? But when she arrived, she had changed and it was only four weeks later. And I didn't realise at the time the impact of what she was actually doing and experiencing actually had on her. But I saw this young girl that honestly was just a really different woman. She was just full of life. Her soul was actually beaming, you know, through her body and her eyes. Um, and then she actually spoke Swahili. And I was like, what? <laughs> Who are you? What's just happened? And she turned to actually speak to the driver who was also, um, I guess, one of her, not guards, but he, he was there to sort of guide her through the program. And she was just speaking to him like it was natural, you know, in Swahili. And it dawned on me then that this was such a significant change for who she is. You know, she was starting to actually live the dream that she wanted. But we continued through this process, you know, um, and we would go into the orphanages and so many things actually changed in that moment. You know, um, I helped them actually create microfinance businesses um, and set that sort of up as part of the program. We started to put in programs in the orphanages because volunteers were coming from all over the world but there wasn't necessarily the structure, you know, um, for programs for the kids. 
um, that con continuity of understanding the different development with the kids. Volunteers were coming in wanting to help, but they really wanted to see that there was a structure there. So that's what we did, you know. Um, and through that process, I guess I started to really understand the impact, you know, the impact of actually having somebody across the world feel loved. Um, we took a week off um, just over Christmas and we had gone to Uganda. And when we came back, those kids actually saw us coming up the mountain through, you know, their little door where they were, you know, their, I guess their school. They bolted down that, you know, dirt road uh, to embrace us. And it dawned on me in that moment that we were getting so much more from these kids than what we were actually giving. The way that they actually made us really understand what connection, kindness, gifting the smallest of things actually means to humanity. Something shifted. So when I got back, I still didn't quite understand. Um, and it was probably some months later, Pete, that I sat at the dining table, you know, the same table. It was where she actually unveiled where she was going. And I turned to my husband and I said, I hate my life. And honestly, Pete, I genuinely felt like I was just on this roller coaster, you know, like a hamster on that wheel, but not necessarily getting anywhere and not necessarily adding value, doing anything. And he looked at me and he said, hate? What do you mean, hate your life? Like, and look, they had heard, heard me, you know, talk about snippets about, oh, my gosh, that's first world problems, you know, put things into perspective. And, you know, my son turned to me and he said, Mum, you can't actually begrudge where you were born. You know, you can't, you can't go back. I know that what you and Sarissa actually experienced obviously has had a huge impact on you, but you're here. This is your life. You can't continuously say we are privileged, you know, first world problems. This is our life. Everything is a first world problem, you know. And it was through that process and I guess continuously looking back and thinking, okay, let me actually work out what I can do. How do I actually change my trajectory? How do I, how do I actually revisit what I'm doing here to do something differently? And, it's, and it took me a long time. You know, it, it, it wasn't something that just happened overnight, I can tell you. It probably took me another two to three years. And in, a, in that time, I had gone back to Tanzania and um, my daughter had gone back and I had actually then gone back and taken my husband and then I'd got another trip and taken friends. And it was through that continual building where it was almost like I was redefining, you know, what am I really here to do? What, what's my purpose? You know, what's the impact that I really want to create, which is, led me to my fire in my belly, you know, situation. And it is to raise the baseline globally. 
And I know that this is bigger than me, but I know that I can do it. And it's actually about really sharing the message and being really intentional with everything that I do. And so I, you know, I have to say almost everything that I do comes back to is this going to get me closer to where I need to be? Or is it actually detracting me, you know, from what that end goal is? That's the question that I ask constantly together with what else. So I never ask, well, I'm conscious not to ask what if because when I ask what else, it's actually about building. You know, what else is actually about what else can we do rather than what if I did this and this happens? So it really changes a mindset. And so it's now led me to, you know, through the pandemic, um, that refocus, you know, that almost crisis point that people reach at different stages in their life. For me, it is that point of clarity that I reach. When I'm in that state, it is, okay, fine-tune it, reach that actual pinhead on that needle and really crystallise what you want to do. And so through the pandemic, I hit that point. I had my father suddenly actually have a tragic fall in hospital that led to a brain bleed that led to him passing away within seven days. Actually, it was even less. The day before my father passed, my mother actually had heart failure and got rushed to a different hospital. We nearly lost her. The pandemic had gone into full lockdown in Australia. And all through that, I kept thinking, what else? What else? You know, I had actually been doing... um, you know, some mentoring into Tanzania. But I then went, I, I think I know now how to pull it all together. You know, so the young woman that I had actually, you know, first met on the my very first trip, um, she came to mind and I reached out to her and said, bring all of your friends who are leaders, who actually are on aspiring entrepreneurs, and she knows my values, you know, and it is actually about gifting knowledge and about elevating people, about being transparent. And um, and so I said, what I've been doing with you over the years, I'm going to do that for free. Let's actually put you on the platform, give you a voice. You become a host and ask me anything you want. They can ask me anything they want. This is an opportunity for all of us to actually grow, to share the voice, to come together, to collaborate. And so that's what we did. So we started leadership programs online. But through that, for me, was this continual what else, what else, what else. So I then actually started to form leadership programs. So I train in leadership, you know, across the globe. So I then realised I had actually been working with one of the schools over there, you know, and I could see what she was. She's an Aussie lady. She's been over there for 15 years and she runs a school. It's called the School of St Jude's. And she actually takes in orphans. They have to actually go through quite a rigorous um, test, you know, so from a, um, I guess, an academic perspective, they need to be performing because her vision is if we can give these young children an opportunity to be educated, they can become leaders of our country, of our nation, and then actually start developing 
our own children, our own communities, you know, so that we don't have to rely externally. And so I reached out to them and said, would you like to actually be involved in leadership programs that I now have actually converted from adults to children? And so it became this dialogue. So we now actually run programs in the school, you know, starting from the age of 12. There's actually four programs that I run. So 12-year-olds um, to 14-year-olds in the first group. And they're programs over four weeks, six weeks, and then ultimately six months. You know, they become incubators once they finish school. But everything is actually about enabling them to identify their own values, how to understand boundaries, the value and the impact of paying things forward. And um, so that for me is now actually a business for my facilitators on the ground who I've been mentoring over the years. So I pay them, I've trained them, and I pay them to actually run these programs. And these kids now actually also understand the value of paying it forward. So over time we build, you know, they come back then at the next stage, which is 15 to 17-year-old, and then when they finish school. And everything is actually about creating that circular impact, you know, paying it forward, how can I contribute? You know, don't look at competition, look at collaboration, work in your place of genius, you know, all of those sorts of things to actually enable them to continuously look inward because everybody actually has the answers inside. But marketing, social media has actually taught us to actually look outward and look at what everybody else is doing and think that's what we should be doing, whereas we know internally, you know, what's right and what's wrong and what's good for us. And so creating that sort of path for them to make it their own, to be able to speak their voice, has really become my big passion. And over time, my intention is, is that I actually take these programs globally. I fund them into developing countries, but for Western world, they're actually a paid program. So even the kids that are actually in Western society that are paying for it are actually contributing and understanding the impact that they are making by actually enabling you know, somebody in a developing country to actually be part of what they've experienced just somewhere else. So that's a really long way around in what's my fire in my belly, you know. Um, so in my business advisory, you know, work that I do, irrespective of whether I'm mentoring, running a program, I'm giving advice to businesses, corporations, everything actually goes towards funding these programs, um, being conscious about, you know, who we're actually around and, I guess just enabling people to understand that, you know, we can actually run businesses. We can run, you know, companies. But if we don't have people at the centre of everything that we do, then we haven't quite got it right. And so through my beliefs in, you know, what the end game is, people actually start to shift. They really start to understand that there is so much power in paying things forward that it actually shifts who you are and then you actually, you go to work and actually are joyful. You know, it's not this mundane, I need to tick this thing off the list and do this and, you know, what are the, what's the bottom line? We can actually achieve all of that 
even if we actually pay things forward, even if we do contribute to somebody else, we can do things slightly differently. So it's changing the lens in which we actually live life and I say play at work. Um. <laughs> what's, what's your core values, Cathy? It is actually to ensure that we uphold people. It is honestly to understand our own biases and actually give people the opportunity to be heard. It's to be kind. It's to accept differences. And when I say accept differences, I mean that we can actually have a robust discussion and really and really actually, you know, say we're never going to meet, but actually appreciate that there is somebody who has a really different perspective. You know, I could not possibly understand your life, Pete, because I haven't lived it. Um, I think I really realised that when I we spent time living with a Maasai and, Pete, there, there's a lot of things within that culture that I could not possibly understand and in many ways I say they're not aligned with my values, you know, like they still actually believe in child marriage. Um, they still actually, you know, circumcision for, for girls is actually part of their culture. Um, there, there's a lot of things that do not align from a values perspective. But, you know, I remember sitting there one day and one of the, the warriors actually said to me, um, Kathy, I've started the Duputu Foundation and he started to tell me what it was about. And it was about educating girls, you know, to actually continue with school, to actually say no to circumcision, to say no to being, you know, um, married off at the age of 11. Um, and he said, what do you think about that? And I think it was in that moment where I realised my privilege, where I actually realised my biases that I actually said to him, Kimani, I, I can't answer that. It's actually not my place to answer that for you because I'm a white, Western, privileged woman and I could never, never understand being in that sort of dynamic. They live, you know, they live in communities, so their bomas are actually all within one another. And, you know, Maasai men can actually have multiple wives, but they live with generations, you know. So this young girl who I know can have so much more than what potentially she's actually exposed to lives with her mother, lives with her grandmother. So what is it the message that I, as a Western woman, could possibly be actually giving to her? or any of them for that matter, am I then not being disrespectful of their culture, of their beliefs? How does that communication actually transcend between generations to enable that to happen? It's not going to be through me or my perspective. And so it's really, it really is about acceptance and understanding we all have biases, but it's to actually catch ourselves in those moments and to be present for who I'm actually with, you know, honouring you and understanding what you're wanting to share with me but not necessarily having to agree with you. That's actually a really big value of mine. Um, 
Yeah. Does that sort of give you, I guess, a bigger understanding of um, not just my values, but I guess what drives me? <laughs> what What would you define as your superpower then? Where Where is your place of service you? You know, in business, I actually say that my place of genius is to actually really hear what you don't say. And by actually doing that, um, I actually bring that to a discussion because I see that as a blind spot or I see that as the thing that's actually holding you back, the thing that's actually blocked you from really actually getting to where you want to be. So it's to unearth um, what is happening for you and then enable you to actually live the life that you actually deserve because I think a lot of the time we actually hold ourselves back you know um, fear fear is actually such a big thing you know we talk about fear of failure but it's not the fear of failure that I think actually prevents us I think it's actually the fear of not knowing where to start you know how do I actually make amends how do I actually move past if we can actually master those things, then understanding failure as your opportunity to actually learn, draw from it, you know, the things that have, have worked, that have succeeded, you then actually strengthen and then you actually build. You know, so that's the, that's the difference between anti-fragility and resilience. And so for me, I think that that's what I actually do best. <laughs> Well, it is, yeah, that that listening. And so when you're saying so, I mean, it's really what they're not saying. I mean, how do you then draw that out? You know? You know, a lot of people, um, when you ask them a question, they share with you what you think you want to, what they think you want to hear. And so I, I reframe questions to actually see where it gets to. And through that process, you actually really learn to listen differently. Um, most of us are actually taught to listen so that we can respond. You know, that <laughs> I go back to school, even as a child, you know, did you hear what I said? Yes, yes, I did. <laughs> I did. And it's actually to almost, you know, um, paraphrase what you've just, said, you know, heard. So, or you're actually thinking about, I need to answer this, you know, they've asked me this, so I need to answer. Yes, 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 I know. But that's not what actually listening is about. It's really actually you, you don't just hear the words, you actually see the expressions on their faces. You listen to what happens to their breathing. Um, you watch their, their body, you know, are they actually changing through that process? So for me, that's how I actually start to formulate what I'm not hearing. And so then I actually say, tell me what you're not telling me. Tell, tell me what you're not sharing, you know, because something's just not sitting right or I, I'm not getting it, you know. And so it changes the discussion, like literally just changes the discussion. Um, so often I have people say to me, I don't know why I'm sharing this with you. I have never told anybody this before. But it is in that moment where you have the biggest breakthroughs, you know, personally and professionally. 
And that then actually enables them to almost lift whatever it is that they've been, I guess, holding back, you know, or holding on to. And through that, their lens changes too. It doesn't mean that they don't default back, right? Because that's the unlearning process and that takes time. You know, I often say to people, particularly when they engage me for executive coaching and they want to break through something or doing, you know, high performance teams, C-suite, you know, the people that don't want to be known that they're being coached, um, <laughs> they're the ones that usually come to me because they actually want impact. Well. It's actually the unlearning, but you've actually lived a life for 40, 50, 60 years. Those behaviours are there. It's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen in five hours because let's face it, five sessions is five hours compared to 50, 60 years, right? So that unlearning piece actually has to start with unravelling what's not being said, what's actually sitting in that belly, you know, (laughs) that's hiding to actually bring up that fire in the belly, we need to actually unleash that. And so that becomes the unlearning process. You know, that's where you go, well, okay, if you're in a fight or flight situation, this is what you would have done. But is that what you choose to do now? Isn't it funny, so, you know, when we choose, as you say, it's it's just this choice. But also that part of listening when you ask someone, you know, what are you not saying? It's, I mean, it's so close, right? They could, they'll just... Within reason, they'll start to actually say, well, I'm, <laughs> this is what I'm not telling you, right? Sometimes. Um, sometimes, you know, it becomes an aha moment for them and, and they realise and they go, oh, my gosh, you know, I've never said this, but here you go. Or they'll go, what are you talking about? And so it, you know then that it is so deep um, that they need to process it themselves. And there'll be, you know, anger and resentment and pain and fear and a whole lot of emotions that happen in, in that moment and will continue to happen, you know, over the next maybe week, two weeks, possibly even months. Um, but until we, you know, each of us um, goes through that process, we really don't reach that place of joy. Um, you know, I have moments like that myself. So I'm certainly not immune to it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I'll sit there and I go, oh, my gosh, where did that come from? I had no concept that that was even playing on my mind. You know, something I remember um, it was only just recently I was having a discussion with my mother and um, she said something to me, and I'm tr- now trying to remember what it was, but she said something to me and then out of the blue my response to her was, hang on a minute, that's not true because I remember as a child, you know, I was doing this, 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 and this. And in that moment, I thought, has that actually been eating away at me all this time? And I'd never even realized. Like, you know, we, my father was actually quite ill from a really young age. And my mother worked three jobs. So I was raised by my grandmother. Um, but I had never actually even thought about you know, the fact that I really hadn't had a relationship with my mother until I was an adult because she worked so long and hard, you know, not only to actually put food on the table, to have a roof over our head, 
uh, you know, to put me through private schooling and what a privilege that was, you know, just little things like that. But, you know, as a result, that meant that I didn't have a relationship with her. Um, I really didn't know her, you know, until I actually became a mother. And so there's, there's lots of things that, you know, happened even for me even though I'm conscious and I do this, you know, as part of my actual work, things happen, they come up. So for anybody to actually go, oh, there's nothing that, you know, I'm hiding, there's nothing that's actually, you know, really sitting in my belly, I'm going to call you out on that because we all have it. Um, We may not be aware of it, that's different, but, you know, when we're given the opportunity, take it as an opportunity to explore what else because, that may actually be the one thing that's going to actually unravel where you are today so that you can, in fact, step forward to be the person that you honestly want to be. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, to actually sort of understand someone in that way, I mean, it's, it's quite the privilege, isn't it, really, to help people to see who they are, to break their truth pattern, you know, or, break, I mean, frankly, break the the nonsense that they talk to themselves about, right? You know, to be able to, you know, find a way through that. It's, it's, it's a privilege. It's a skill, right? I, I honestly say that I love what I do every single day. And it is because I do sit in a position of privilege. You know, I often say to people, thank you for trusting me. Thank you for actually enabling me to be here in this moment, you know, with you. Um, I know the significance of it. I genuinely know the impact that it actually has on them. You know, sometimes there's shame attached to it, and that's pretty big. So I don't take anything that I do lightly. Yes, I am a business advisor, and yes, at the back of everything is numbers, but you know what? Deep down I'm a person, and the thing that actually drives me the most is people and their souls. You know, when I actually see that there is a soul, irrespective of how accomplished you are, that's actually hurting, I take the time to actually ask about it because most of the time people don't. They're too fearful, you know, fearful that they'll be rejected, fearful that they'll actually be oust out, um, you know, so that fear actually works both ways. It's for the person to, that's actually, you know, holding back but it's also for the person that's asking the question because in some ways I guess you're, you're being rejected or, you know, I don't know. But for me, I see that as it would be remiss of me to recognise something and not to be able to help or not to be able to, to call it out, so to speak. And so people that work with me, that's one thing that I actually say to them, please be prepared. Because if I actually see something, I'm pretty transparent. I'm going to call it out. So if you're not ready for that, then I'm not the person to be working with. You know, you have honestly engaged me to bring out the best in you and this is how I know I can do it. And so, you know, I am very upfront about that. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, that, that directness, but... Because, I mean, some people are holding these traumas, these blocked emotions, trapped emotions, et cetera, from, I mean, right away from your dot, basically, right? Because, I mean, they, they can be, I mean, wh- where do most of our emotions come from? Where is the origin, do you know? 
Oh, you know, it's interesting. A lot of people actually say that um, it's actually um, stems from generations. You know, it actually comes through our natural, you know, birth process that we hold the trauma of previous generations. Um, and, you know, I don't know, I've not done enough um, research in that regard, but certainly a lot of it does come from childhood. I think in my recent TED Talk, you know, one of the things that I've actually shared, particularly when we come to taking risks, you know, I say as a child, is it possibly that as adults we don't take risks because when we were kids, we weren't actually allowed or encouraged to do the simplest of things of jumping off a tree, you know. Don't do that. You're going to hurt yourself. Don't do that, you know. And so for those that are prepared to take risks, is it because they were actually encouraged to explore? They were actually, you know, encouraged to do the things that perhaps their parents weren't able to do, you know. So... I think a lot of our um, learned behaviours actually definitely come from a childhood. Um, there's been quite a lot of research that's shown that a lot of our actual behaviours um, are pretty much instilled in us by the age of six and seven, you know, so we carry that through to adulthood. So clearly there is something in that, you know, and is the trauma actually, you know, brought through generations? I mean, it's our molecular being, right? So if we give birth to, to um, a child, does that actually carry through? Possibly. You know, I don't know. But I think our lived experiences also contribute then to the way that we actually then behave and engage um, and look at life. So the more that we can actually have I guess those robust discussions and experience things where there are challenges, then we're actually able to, to heal. We're able to give ourselves permission, you know, to be different, to think differently. Um, so I think our lived experiences also actually have, a, a, you know, a play in that. Out of curiosity, what are some of the things that you don't say? What I don't say, I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't swear a lot. <laughs> um, my kids know, even if there's some swearing in a, in a song, they'll change the channel. Um, <laughs> um, I can't. I don't say I can't. Um, my, my, I guess my thoughts around that is if you say I can't, it's your choice that you don't want to. And that's okay for you to choose it, but then own it. Or actually say, I've tried that and I'm really not good at it, so I don't enjoy it, so I'm not going to do it, you know. So it's really actually what we tell ourselves um, that we then actually really create the storyline around it. Um, what else don't I say? Um, I, don't, I don't know that there's anything that really comes to mind, but I am conscious about, I can't because I really think that that becomes a limiting, you know, belief because you're automatically telling yourself you can't. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, I'm just curious. I mean, what the value changes were sort of before getting on that, on that plane to Tanzania and, and after, I mean, 
would you have recognized yourself? Was it that big a monumental shift for you? Or, I mean, you also explained it was over a bit of time, so maybe it wasn't a complete evolution straight away, right? But It's interesting. I mean, this journey over the last few years has certainly actually enabled me to reflect a lot. Mm. Um, and I guess through that process, I started to recognize patterns that I would not normally have seen. So valuing people has, in fact, been something that has been within me for a really long time. And I've never actually noticed that as a pattern. You know, even as a child, I remember, and, you know, I've written about this in in one of the books, um, but I remember all families argue, right, um, and mine was no different in that regard, let me tell you. But And we all had really different um, perspectives, you know, of what's right and what what was wrong. And I remember as a child thinking, my gosh, but that's their opinion and they're entitled to it. But as a child, I didn't have a voice, you know, or if I did, it was almost like, and it wasn't from my parents, but it was actually through the surrounding family that, it was wrong for me to even have that thought, right, to think, how is that even possible that you think that way? Um, and so I think for me it, it was potentially there from a really young age that people are entitled to have their own opinion and that we can actually still have differences of opinions and still like each other, right? <laughs> it doesn't mean that because I don't agree with you, I don't like you anymore. <laughs> it's just that I see things differently. Um, and the other thing that um, I guess I've reflected upon is that I haven't always done things the norm, you know. So my TED Talk talks about going against the grain. Um, that I realised, you know, again, I wasn't the traditional, you know, first-generational migrant, you know. I, I was a tomboy. I played cricket and rugby and, you know, I would surf and ride a skateboard, certainly not from a gender perspective, certainly not from an ethnicity perspective was I the norm, but I didn't see it as being different. I just saw it as me being me. And when I looked at my career path, again, I started to see the patterns, you know, I remember starting work and um, I had these beautiful three women that took me under their wings, you know, um, and genuinely had my best interests at heart. But I remember, you know, really early, I think it was it was in my first week where they came over really, really quietly, you know, to say, Kathy, I think you need to go home to change. And, you know, when I, when I, I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, oh, this is a practical joke that they're playing on me. And then as I'm looking at them, they're serious, so it's not a joke. But, you know, that whole thing was them actually believing that they were doing the right thing by me in getting me to go home before the branch manager arrived because I needed to change and get out of my suit because I was wearing trousers. And the branch manager didn't like, didn't think women should be wearing trousers. You know, but I sat there and I... Honestly, I was really naive because all I said was, the handbook doesn't say you can't wear trousers. (laughs) So I stayed. 
And yeah, I had to have that discussion, you know, with the branch manager. But when I look back, what happened in that moment was, first of all, he understood where his beliefs came from and it was his upbringing. Women wore skirts and dresses, not trousers. It then actually, you know, um, enabled us to have a wider conversation, which led to these three women wearing trousers, you know, months later. But it was through that, I guess, giving myself permission, being naive or not, um, to have the discussion that then actually enables people to think differently, you know. So I guess, you know, for me, I don't know, I've always done things based on what felt right internally, um, be it intuitively or naively, I don't know, Pete, but I have. You know, even I was laughing yesterday um, because uh, coming out of the finance industry, you know, predominantly male, and I used to actually turn up to meetings and lean in and give them a hug and a kiss and, you know, back in the early days, 80s, I was like, what is she doing? You know, it's more acceptable now. But back then it was like, seriously? What's that about? People just didn't know. They'd like freeze. Um, so I did what came naturally to me. And I think people watching me over the years have seen that consistency. Um, I just saw it as me being me. But it was my pattern, my behaviours, um, yeah. <laughs> Are you always able to, to be yourself? I mean, do you, do you need to take time out to reflect on your where you're at or, you know, even see yourself? Because I know, I mean, obviously that's the thing with mentoring. Sometimes it's, we can't see ourselves or we can't see the wood for our own trees, really, you know? I mean, are yeah. you able to reflect on yourself or do you, do you seek it externally? Yeah. Um, so uh, obviously I have other people that mentor me, but what I do do is I recognise my own triggers. So in any given moment, if there's a shift in emotion for me, I feel that gut, something happens for me, you know, like that gut sort of feeling, it's, um, it's taking that away and unpacking it. And I guess that also comes from um, being trained as a qualified counsellor, you know, part of that um, was actually embedded in the way that we trained um, getting that external supervision and recognising what's happening for us in any given moment um, obviously impacts the relationship. Um, so being mindful, you know, of that. So I do often reflect. Um, I will reflect straight after, but I actually take time out after that too to go, what was that really about? Because it doesn't always surface in that moment. Like you recognise it. Like I recognise something has happened um, and I may be able to attach something to it, but it's not always what's at the surface level. You know, like I shared earlier about, you know, that incident with my mum, that was like an unravelling where it was like, where did that even come from? You know, so that took me a really long time to actually really understand what that was even about because. I was, I wasn't even conscious that it was there, you know, but it had such a profound impact on the way that I responded to that situation 
that for me it was something that I needed to continuously you know, reflect on. And so that then, you know, led to a telephone discussion to say this is what has just happened and I just want to talk through it um, because if I don't do that, I carry it in, you know, not only to the next session, you know, that I'm in but also potentially with other clients or other situations for that matter. Um, so, yeah, I, I work on myself a lot. Mm. It's it's part and parcel of who I am. <laughs> Tell me this: what what did you what did you want to be when you grew up? What was the original plan? Medicine. I wanted to be in medicine, and I didn't like nowhere near you know that process. When I actually um, when I sat for the HSC, I shared with you, um, that's the high school certificate, but I shared with you that my father had actually been ill for a really long time. And, um, you know, my, my mother um, working so hard, it really dawned on me that I needed to continue to contribute back to the family. Um, and so I was actually um, back in the olden days, um, the bank actually used to go around to schools and they used to actually get the students to sit for exams. And so I, you know, amongst many, had actually set the exam, but within, like it was within days after that exam and well before I actually set my final exams, they had actually written to me and offered me a job. And so banking was never in my like frame of thought, like not in a million years. Um, and so I actually took the opportunity, you know, to take up the job. Um, didn't know what, what, you know, what I was going to do, didn't know what I wanted to do, like, you know, it, particularly because it wasn't something that I had even contemplated. But, you know, going and studying was going to then be more cost and so that then became, I guess, that crossroad, you know, making a decision. Um, so, yes, then I, that's where I ended up in banking. Um, and it was through that process, um, Pete, I actually, it was in my mid-20s, I was actually working with um, high net worth clients and um, business clients they, the bank used to call it looking after their assets. Um, and so that was during the global financial crisis and a lot of people were in hardship, you know, during that time. So part of my work was to actually really look at their businesses and dissect them basically to work out what was profitable, what wasn't, restructure them so that they then conti could continue Otherwise, the alternative was liquidation, you know. Um, and so I worked pretty intimately with clients. But late one night, um, I had one of my clients reach out on my direct line and it was really late at night. There was nobody in the office. It was pitch back. And I actually thought it was my husband, you know, calling me to say, are you still there? <laughs> but... Um, she reached out and she was sitting in her garage in her car and she was suicidal. And this was another crossroad for me where I actually realised it didn't matter how smart I was, it didn't matter how good I was at my job. In this moment, 
I was really ill-equipped. I had no idea um, what to do. And so the only thing that I knew that I could do was just keep talking um, and listening uh, until her partner actually came home. And so, again, that was a real pinnacle moment for me in not only realising that, you know, as much as I thought I was doing a good job in the, in the scheme of life, I had no concept, you know. So that was a real reality check for me. Um, and so, again, that meant me looking inward, you know, further. And so I then actually um, undertook a four-year degree and started to become a qualified counsellor. I still stayed in finance um, and then I actually practised for three years. So for me, it wasn't just about understanding the theory but also then understanding how to actually be in that moment. And I think, you know, when you look back in life, you think everything that I've done has actually led me to exactly where I'm meant to be right now, right? So had I not actually gone through those experiences, um, made those decisions, I don't think that I could possibly be doing what I am doing today and certainly not to the extent that I'm doing it. Um, and so I look at life and think, you know, there is always a path that we may not know the reason why we choose to do things in that moment, but it will eventually unravel itself. You know, even when I look at, um, you know, my time in Tanzania, I don't think that I would have been able to respond to that's the situations that I faced, you know, and I shared one of them when we were with the Maasai, had I not actually lived the life that I had lived, had I not actually um, made the decisions that I had, you know, particularly in becoming a qualified counsellor, in practising, I think that I would be sitting in a really different place today. Isn't it funny how we just, you know, where it's whether it's a circumstance or we're just called in some shape or form? I mean, I mean, we ever know why, you know, they reached out that night? You know? Why yeah. It's funny, you know, people have often said to me, oh crap, you know, why'd they reach out to you? And I and and I my view is what a privilege out of all the people, like Honestly, out of all the people that she had in her network, she reached out to me. So I honestly looked at that moment in exactly that. What a privilege that she actually trusted me. You know, I don't know that I could look at it any differently. And so whenever those situations happen, you know, to your point earlier about um, it's a privilege to actually be in that situation to say to someone, well, hang on a minute, what's going on for you? Because what you're telling me doesn't really resonate with, you know, what I'm seeing. Um, it's a privilege. It's a privilege that um, they actually feel safe, that they can actually share, you know, whatever they choose to in that moment. So um, I try to actually be the whole of me in, you know, all of the situations, undoubtedly there are times where I do have my guard up because, you know, I don't know what I'm walking into. So I'm conscious of that. 
um, I'm conscious that I don't allow all of myself to be seen. It doesn't necessarily mean that I'm not still me, but I may not necessarily wear my heart on my sleeve, you know, all the time. Um, there are times that people can't actually see all of me. You know, I know that it's not the right time for them to actually hear everything that I have to say or that I would like to say for that matter. Um, and so I don't necessarily always share. You know, sometimes I say to people, I actually know the answer, but it's not up to me. And they go, just tell me so we can move on. And I go, no, because it's my perspective. And that also changes the way that you will then embrace this. It's got to come from within. You know, if it doesn't come from where you're sitting, it's not going to resonate. You're not going to have the same sort of impact. And so no, I'm not going to share. You've got to come to that realisation yourself. It's that, it is that realisation, isn't it? Mm. What, when you were in Tanzania and, you know, you talked about you actually almost, you were almost learning more from them than they were from you in many ways. I mean, what was that? What, what sort of reflection or what did it do for you to, to be in that space? I cried a lot, Pete. I cried almost every night. Um, and it was tears of joy and tears of, I guess, um, being grateful, being grateful that, you know, I could actually experience what I was experienced but also actually become incredibly um, grateful, so grateful, you know, for what I had grateful to actually share the experiences with, you know, these people, these kids. You know, I, I, I remember this one moment where um, the young kids in one of the orphanages that we were um, working in, they, um, they really didn't have a carer when we first started and we didn't even realise, you know, the real situation until a lot later when my daughter, because she was she could speak Swahili, you know, she was starting to unravel a few things. But there were situations where these kids were actually, they were left alone at night. There was nobody caring for them. They were actually, you know, they were being moved. They had been moved from one location to a new location and it was a demolition site. There were sheets of roofing across their beds. There were nails and timber all over the place. And they were sleeping amongst, you know, all of that. But I remember actually um, seeing one day we used to actually make um, ugali, which is like maize flour um, with water, and that's, that's actually their staple diet. Um, and that was being made for them for lunch and we used to go and buy bananas so that they could have something sweet, you know, in it to actually change the, the, the flavour of it. And um, all of a sudden I remember, um, you know, three of the kids have sort of walked out with their little bowls and I'm thinking, oh, they had gone outside, you know, just to sit outside instead of sitting in the, in the little room. And when I had gone outside, they had actually... Um, shared their food with this dog that had turned up. It was a puppy, 
but clearly it was not healthy. It was just so skinny. You could see its skeleton and obviously they could see that it was quite frail and had obviously had not been eating. So here are these orphan kids that don't really have a lot of food for themselves sharing their food. And so I, you know, I sat in that moment thinking how pure these kids are and irrespective of their circumstances, they're actually looking, you know, at this, this puppy and understanding its pain and understanding that it needs to be nurtured as well. And yet we throw so much away. And we're continuously looking for more and more and more. And so it was little moments like that where, you know, when I came back, that moment of sitting at that dining table, I really did hate my life. You know, I had been working in business where my main objective was looking at profits, (laughs) increasing profits, increasing revenue. And I'm not to say that that's not, you know, important because without, you know, money, we really can't achieve anything. But we can be more conscious about it. You know, we can, we can be intentional with what we want to actually do with that. You know, at some stage it's okay to say we have enough. Um, we don't have to be continuously looking, you know, to to keep building, what are we building for? How can we actually contribute to, you know, somebody else? So there were lots of moments like that. Um, There are some things that I still actually don't talk a lot about. Uh, There's, you know, one particular incident that really um, has left me with a lot of guilt because I didn't trust my intuition and... I I was so conscious of being mindful, you know, that I'm a white Western woman and I shouldn't bring my own, um, I guess, judgment to situations and to accept that I could actually be wrong, that I really actually neglected what really sits at the core of who I am and that is to pick up on things. Um, And so... You know, there's a particular incident that I still carry with me, you know, years later in could I have actually stopped something? Could could I have done something differently? Um, So there's, yeah, there's, there's a lot that I still actually reflect on and maybe through those challenging situations, you know, I continuously look back and check in on myself. Um, to make sure that I don't actually follow the same sort of patterns, to be more aware, um, to really actually listen in, you know. Um, And that's why I think for me the importance of the unlearning is so important for anybody, you know, to step forward so that we don't actually 
just keep, you know, walking through challenges, which is what resiliency is about. You know, yes, we are resilient. Yes, we've actually been able to, you know, um, be standing upright today, you know, despite what we may have actually, you know, endured. But if we don't actually learn from those situations and actually change something, we're really not achieving anything. And that's what, you know, anti-fragility is actually all about. That's what enables us to continuously learn, strengthen, and then elevate those around us. Um, so, yeah. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, it's, it's obviously it's a deep impact for you. It really is. You know, um, I'm so grateful that even though this was the journey for my daughter, it was actually the journey that I was meant to be on. Um, and so sometimes I laugh and I look back and say, thank you for Ebola, you know, um, because we wouldn't have had those robust discussions. We wouldn't have had her thinking about, you know, going to Tanzania. Um, I often look back and say that I'm grateful for, you know, COVID um, and it ended up, making me be exactly where I needed to be through my family crisis and making conscious decisions where um, a lot faster than perhaps I would have, you know, otherwise. We all have challenges, you know, Pete. We, we will all actually have hurdles and obstacles to overcome, but it's how we actually choose, you know, to navigate through them, over them, with them that actually is going to make the difference. So, you know, we're all living through the same situation. Yes, at different, at difference, you know, in different ways um, at the moment. But the reality is, is that everybody's actually experiencing some sort of pain, anguish, fear, you know, whatever. But if we actually just pause just pause. That's all we need to do and be there for whoever we're actually in the presence of. It's going to make a difference. And that's all that we have to do. Hmm. There's so much in there, isn't it? It's, you know, we don't need the world to go faster, you know, to make all these things happen. We need the world to go slower, you know, or yeah. it's a choice, right? Hmm. Yeah. Sorry. That was very deep. <laughs> no, listen, I mean, that, that's the thing, but I mean, that's, you know, these things that do change us or that do shape us, I mean, that, that's the thing they do. They affect us to the core, right? You know, that's the whole mm -hmm. reason they are life transformational. And this is obviously something that has been transformational for you and by the sense of it, your daughter as well. And I mean, how has it affected the rest of your family? Has it had a, an impact further afield? Um, I think for my daughter, it was always, um, this journey has always been who she was. You know, I look back when she was a little girl and she was always drawn to young kids, always drawn to actually helping people. And interestingly, you know, the last five years, she has actually spent her, her career working with people with disabilities. Um, and so I think it has actually made her more consciously kind. Um, you know, when when she's actually with clients or when she's actually with, you know, I, I was watching her with these kids. Her soul, her heart was just full, you know. So 
I think her experiencing Tanzania the way that she did has without a doubt changed who she is. Um, my husband, you know, prior to the trip, I think that all that he could see was the pain um, that was within me. But when he went, you know, he looks back at it as a time of joy. Like he just looks back and he has a grin on his face. So he can see that even though there are challenges, there is so much joy in every situation. My son's the only one who hasn't actually been. And, you know, I would say he's probably the most sensitive of all of us, even though he has a hard outside shell. Um, but he has actually done other work. You know, he has, um, he has gone and built schools in different places. Um, so as a family, we have, I guess, from a really young age, the kids have always actually contributed to someone else. Um, it's been part of our actual belief system. Um, I often share with people that when the kids were young, um, <laughs> I actually taught them how to manage money to the point where they had to draw up their own little contracts of chores around the house, but they had to actually, um, you know, they needed to tell me what they wanted to be paid. I wasn't going to set the pricing. So that was a really interesting process. But as part of that, they also then had to think about did they want insurance? So did they want to pay away, you know, part of their income to have insurance for when they were sick so that they could still get paid weekly, um, <laughs> even if they didn't do their chores, right? They needed to actually um, split their banking up to everyday use that had a check account attached to it and they just, you know, hand in their check and say, can you give me this so that I can buy this? They then um, had a second bank account that had, um, I guess, their emergency fund if they didn't have enough in their account that they could actually draw on. And then they needed to actually have money set aside for long-term goals. Um, but part of that was also that they needed to contribute and give to charity. So 10% was always about you know, think about what charity you want to contribute to and that's where this money goes to. And to this day, they still actually have that philosophy. They still have those three different bank accounts. They still actually think about, you know, um, the charity that they actually contribute to. So it's funny how the smallest of things can actually then become rituals that then give meaning to the way that we actually live life. Um, so... It's that has it changed us? I think it has. It's changed all of us. Um, I think we all actually think about our community being global. It's not just where we're living. It's not just Sydney. It's not just Australia. You know, everything that happens across the world, you know, we have the ability to actually contribute. So think differently. Um, and I think the more that I now have, you know, the fact that I've started to become more visible and to share, I guess, my journey, my life, my perspective, I think people are also actually starting to, to pause, to actually think about what is she actually saying, you know, what am I doing? Um, and I 
And that really has only come about, you know, through everything that I've gone through um, because I was always very comfortable just to sit in the background. I didn't need to be seen. I didn't need to be heard. You know, I was quite happy to actually say to the staff, oh, you know, we've done this. You guys go up and accept this award. You guys do this. Um, whereas I've become more conscious that by me not being seen, it's remiss because um, you know, you can't be what you can't see. That saying is so true. Um, and particularly I think for young girls and for women, because I don't do things by tradition, <laughs> it's important to actually say, listen, I've done this for a long time and it's okay for you just to be you, the whole of you, you know. Um, you don't have to be a particular way. You don't have to do things in a particular way just because that's the way it was done, you know, in the past. So, yes, I think it has changed who I am. It's changed the way that my family looks at things. Um, yeah. It's, it's super interesting. I mean, whilst, you know, money, money brings up different emotions for different people, right? But yet money is the thing that also has allowed sort of the journey and, and the, the concept or the perception of money is what so it seems has also allowed you to go on this journey, you know, teaching finances and, you know, the sort of micro businesses and money banking and all that thing in Tanzania. And yet it was your career beforehand and also, you know, what you taught your kids and what you taught others. And, and even now money mindset or money management through business as well. It's like, it's, it's value, it's wealth, it's, you know, wealth in societal wealth, emotional yeah. wealth, spiritual wealth, financial wealth, all of it, right? You know, and yeah. I don't know. It seems to be a it, it, it is a thread and it's interesting because, you know, given your question earlier about what did you want to do, no, money wasn't involved in that at all. <laughs> you know, in, in many ways it was actually about healing. So, uh, you know, I've often looked back at, am I actually doing what I'm meant to be doing? And in some ways I think combining, you know, that healing, you know, through medicine um, and taking the path that I did, I think I'm actually exactly where I'm meant to be, um, Pete. You know? <laughs> um, healing comes in so many ways and it doesn't necessarily have to be through Western, you know, medicine. We, you know, we heal just by being. We heal through touch. We heal through being present. You know, it, um, valuing somebody is actually really healing. It's the one thing, you know, when I look at um, a lot of the, the work, I guess, that I do particularly with C-suite is that people are a particular way because they've had to fight their way there. Do you know how much trauma is in that? Mm. It doesn't necessarily mean that that's who they wanted to be, you know, to fight, to dig, to, to do the things that they have done. But that's what they thought they had to. So me actually being able to genuinely show them that, you know what, you can have a sustainable business, you can actually scale, you can grow and you can be happy. <laughs> You can have it all. You just need to actually look at things through a slightly different lens. Um, and I think that's the reason why I stay working 
in business as a business advisor because I know that I can actually create greater impact, you know, whether it's actually through a global company working with, you know, the board or or C-suite or whether it's actually in small business, it still has the same impact because I'm impacting people. And when you impact people, you actually get a really different outcome in business and the way that they actually attach values to money then actually shifts. It's not just about seeing, you know, more zeros on the bottom line because we now actually attach what we want with that. What's the, you know, objective? What outcome do we honestly want to achieve through that? Um, You know, one of the things that I actually train or incorporate in, you know, my work is enabling people to actually understand that the way that they respond in any situation can, in fact, be changed, and that's that includes um, the money piece. You know, when you actually know the outcome you want to achieve in any situation, whether it's through money, through yourself personally, through an actual discussion, you actually get a response rather than a reaction. You think about it, businesses actually determine what they're going to do based on the actual profit that they achieve. But what if you actually determined what you wanted to to do before you achieved that debt profit? You're already, you're responding. You're actually aiming for something specifically, not actually deciding once you actually get that monetary amount crystallised, right? So everybody on that journey actually knows how they're contributing to an outcome rather than trying to actually aim for this dollar amount, which is really superfluous because what does it mean to anybody? It has no meaning. It's just paper and plastic, right? Yeah. Just yeah. Do you know, it's, it's so refreshing to have that. Um, this expression, I... I I don't know, it always just resonates with me, you know, and it's for, for many people, you know, their voids are their values and yeah. it feels so lack-based, you know, and it's, it's fine for motivation. It's fine to maybe get you going and, you know, to use that, but ultimately long-term it's just going, it's not a, it's not a healthy use of energy. Mm. Um, God forbid, you know, it's, whether it's money in your background or trauma or something else, you know, and people say, well, that's, that's why I do what I do. And it's like, well, that's fine up to a point, but is, is it a healthy choice? You know, is it a choice that's actually going to bring love, bring potential, or is it a case of, you know, sort of fixing what's, what's there, right? Although it doesn't need fixed. Um, yeah. Sustainability is actually a really key part, which is why it's so important to actually know, you know, what's, what is it that you're actually wanting to achieve? You know, if you don't actually know that, then it is this perpetual, that hamster wheel just keeps coming back, right? Yes, I've, I've got, you know, I've received that, that monetary amount. Woohoo! And now what? Because that's honestly what happens in business. But when you make it purposeful and meaningful, and I don't mean just from a business perspective, it also means for the individuals, you know, and every single layer that's one of the things that millennials and gen z's have actually been crying out for they want to actually be part of something bigger they want to belong 
They actually want to be heard. They've got solutions. They're different to what, you know, baby boomers actually think um, is the solution. But they're not being given the opportunity to contribute. And so that's why a lot are actually now walking away. You know, in my TED Talk, I actually say that, you know, I'm predicting that by 2040, almost all millennials will be self-employed in some capacity, you know, and the trend is swinging. Gen Z's already at, I think, in the US, something like 66% of them are actually, you know, self-employed, contracting. You know, why? This isn't just because of the pandemic. Everybody keeps talking about the, you know, the what do they call it, the, the resignation, um, the, the high resignation, whatever the terminology, the buzzword. There's always a buzzword, right, instead of actually looking at what is genuinely happening. You know, people, marketers come up with this buzz and everybody latches onto it. Well, guys, our future generation have been talking about what they want and how they actually want to live life and work for decades, for a decade. Why haven't we been listening? It's not the pandemic that's changed it. The p- pandemic has actually brought it to fruition. <laughs> it's forced corporates to actually think that way. It's made people actually stop to pause and say, hey, you know what, we can actually do business like that. But people are still trying to rein it in. Why? It's because of our own insecurities. No, I need to see my staff in the office so that I know that they're productive. Well, guess what? Millennials actually said make it outcomes-based. Tell me what you want. And if we achieve it, does that actually appease you? Does it actually give you everything that you need? But we still haven't done it, right? And so, you know, going back to my philosophy, if we actually know what outcome we want from every situation, then there is pure transparency all along, you know. People know what they're contributing to. People know how they're actually um, bringing meaning to what they're doing because they know the outcome that they're all working towards as opposed to we need to increase revenue, we need to increase revenue, we need to actually, you know, keep our shareholders happy. To do what? To do what exactly, though? <laughs> Let's have the real conversation, can we? <laughs> it's, do you know what, and, and it's one of those things, you know, a £100,000 company could be more profitable than a million-dollar company, right? You know, it's not about the revenue, it's not about how much you do, it's, it's, you know, how much is purpose, how much is profit, how much is genuine energy, much is positive stepping forward, right? You know, it's, um, big's not better necessarily. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I always find it quite fascinating. I mean, the work that I do, yeah, I love it because, um, not only do I actually just get to meet incredible people, but it really actually um, allows me to have people have a different relationship with money, you know, or their their perception of money. Um, most people actually say numbers is not my thing. And they go, well, actually numbers wasn't your thing because nobody has actually shown you how to make it easy. Because mm. that is what it is, right? It really is. It's just about showing people, you know, what numbers mean in a way that they can understand. But everybody has really relied on, I guess, an accountant who really is there to serve a specific purpose. They're not a business advisor and they look at your business from a really different perspective. Their obligations is around tax, right? It's around the reporting elements, but not necessarily about how to run your business and how to actually 
make it more profitable because they don't necessarily understand um, efficiencies in your business. They don't understand your people and where their place of genius is. So when you put them in a position where they actually love what they're doing, guess what happens? Productivity happens. (laughs) Guess what happens when productivity happens? Profitability increases, efficiency increases, right? And so it's really actually getting people to understand that business isn't what they think it is. It really comes back to people. And when we can get that mix right, everybody is actually going to be humming. You know, everybody knows where they're working towards and what um, happens in the, in the meantime. You know, that grey area becomes fluid. It means that we're actually giving people permission to actually um, innovate to be agile because they know what the outcome is and so they can actually change things in the interim to make sure that they're working towards this specific outcome because they know what their contribution needs to be, right? But we seem to really stay in this rigour format, you know, because that's what we've been shown through industrialization, and, you know, everybody that's done an MBA understands business like this and all academics are teaching business this way. Guys, can we actually get out of that? Can we genuinely bring it to today? You know, what's happening today? What's happening around us? Story of life, well, isn't it? You know, just being present, so much, so, so impactful. So Yeah. Tell me what what does Kathy do for leisure and pleasure then? What's your what does downtime look for you or recharge time? Um, sunrise. Um, anybody that knows me knows that if you want to give me the greatest gift, it is to come with me to watch a sunrise. Um, that really actually resets me. So I'm a real early bird. Uh, it doesn't matter where I am in the world. Um, that's where I actually find my peace, uh, the water. So walking along the beach, having sand in my feet and my toes, listening to the ocean. Um, it doesn't matter if it's raining. I actually quite enjoy the rain. I find it really calming, soothing. It's like washing away. You know, those tingles is just washing away anything that needs to be washed away. Um that's my relaxation time, and I, and I do like to read. Um, I go through stages of reading where I will just read and read and read and be so consumed in reading, and then I need to detox. So it's like don't have any books around me. Um, that's, that's really my downtime. I don't really watch a lot of TV or movies. Um, my kids will actually laugh as they share that mum watches movies in fast forward um so a movie needs to really really grab me if it doesn't grab me I just fast forward so I'm not a good person to watch a movie with (laughs) well listen I mean that's the thing right it's it's sort of you know, sort of uh, fail forward faster, right? You know, it's like if it's not going to be a good unless <laughs> let's rip through it. There's a lot to be said. Yeah, yeah. But, well, well, I've been known to walk away to get out of the cinema and go, oh, I'm not going to waste my time here. Time's valuable. <laughs> yeah, and that's it. I mean, I think that there's a, there's a secret there too that, you know, people are just not precious enough with their time, you know, and, you mm-hmm. know, be, be prepared to step away. And that's okay too. You know, that's, yeah. Yeah. 
So tell me, if you were to try and describe your fire in your belly in one or two words, what would they be? To really actually make an impact for those who aren't seen in the world, to give them a voice, to actually let them know that they are valued and that they are important. That's, that's what I think everything that I do is to actually really um, elevate people. Yeah. It's, it's so important to me. I guess I keep going back to those little kids in the orphanage, especially in the, you know, the early days. They just had so much joy from nothing, kicking a stone, you know. They were laughing. And so for me it is to actually give everybody an opportunity um, through education, through knowing how they can actually find out what their core values are and giving them permission to just be who they are. That's, that's what really drives me. That's the fire in my belly um, to be that voice. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Mm. Mm. So tell us, where, where can people find out more about you? Where can they uh, learn more? And also, of course, your books. Talk to us quickly about your books as well. Um, well, uh, this is my first book. So it's um, Same People, Different Vision. And it really is, for me, sharing some of my stories and lived experiences through business in how you can do things differently to get an outcome that is about collaboration and about elevating people. Um, it's about developing leaders, I say, of today to actually shape a better tomorrow. So that's my first um, whole book. And then I've actually done anthologies. So um, I've done Unlock Your Feminescence Code. So I was actually one of the co-authors and I think there's 20-odd women in this that really actually share their stories, you know, about just as a female, mm. um, how they have navigated through life and what they actually would want uh, for other other women, girls across the world. Um, then was The Women Who Changed the World, so uh, another anthology that I was actually part of. Mm-hmm. And... This, again, has got some incredible inspirational women in there that honestly look at humanity and how they can actually do things differently. And then, of course, is the most recent one, which aligns with my TED Talk but going against the grain. And this book is actually, um, so I was the actual um, compiler of this. So everybody in this book is somebody who crossed my path. Um, my two facilitators out of Tanzania are actually in this book. Um, a woman who I actually met in Uganda while trekking with gorillas is in this book. She lives out of New York and she's actually um, a managing partner in one of the global consulting firms. There's actually um, other women that have crossed my paths like Kath Malloy who actually um, is an inspirational speaker and um, 
Gabby who has just transformed her life. You know, the path that she's actually on now is um, incorporating business and astrology and she, the way that she looks at business is through such a different lens, you know. Um, and, you know, prior to meeting me, she probably thought that this was, you know, she, people would see her as um, woo-woo and yet there's so much structure in who she is. Like she's so analytical. Um, there's this incredible client of mine, you know, um, Nikki, who is a solicitor who now actually has, gosh, she, she's a, she works in social work, you know, with kids on the streets in Queensland. Um, the work that she does is remarkable and she certainly goes against the grain. What she actually does is um, she questions the way that um, I guess policy has been written because it's been written with so much rigour that it doesn't actually serve the kids, yet that's who they're there to serve. You know, so she's become this advocate for these kids who are funneled through a system that doesn't really enable them to change who they are. Um, who else is in this book? Um, just trying to think. Cara um, McDermott who's actually the publisher, you know, is in this book. Um, she shares this incredible story that she's never actually shared before. Um, and she's done, I don't know how many anthologies and books that she's actually published. She's an inspirational woman. You know, her trajectory in life to where she is today is, you know, she's, she's allowing people to have a voice. She's giving people a voice. She's sharing their stories and bringing them to life. And um, so. That's uh, her. Let me think of what else. Who else is in here? Um, I've shared Oksana, Karen, Gabby. I've shared the astrologist. Um, so Belinda, uh, Weira and Helen um, Lukundu, they're actually the facilitators out of Tanzania. And, you know, the, the work that they're actually doing, they now actually run Bora International. And, again, the values and the philosophies of um, Raise the Baseline are what they actually embrace. You know, they've come together um, having crossed paths through um, actually doing the Mandela Foundation um, scholarship, you know, um, and... So they actually bring to life my programs in Tanzania on the ground. So we make them culturally suitable. Um, and that's one of the things for me that whilst the programs have actually been created, you know, by me out of Australia, they need to then be customised. And so that's why it's so important to have somebody on the ground to go, yeah, but Kathy, our kids wouldn't know that, you know, actually bring this into play. Don't use that terminology. They don't understand that. Use this. Um, and so that then enables it to become relatable for them. You know, when we talk about leaders, we don't talk about our Western leaders. We talk about the African leaders. Um, you know, we talk about culturally sensitive things. So this book um, is very, very special to me um, because it has been incredible women that have actually crossed my path that have contributed to actually shape who I am. Um, so I'm eternally grateful, you know, to each of them who dared to actually be part of the journey. And the, the books, so my actual personal books actually go 
proceeds go towards raise the baseline so it actually helps fund the programs um just like you know a very big percentage of my work actually goes to fund the programs as well well <laughs> that's i mean it's amazing to do that you know and they're, they're beautiful creations to be able to share with the world so well done you oh, thank you so, <laughs> tell us where can people actually reach you your website um so it's yes. solutions to you.com.au. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. Okay. So that's where people use the number two. So make sure that it's the number two. Um, and obviously on LinkedIn, that's probably one of the platforms that I'm more active in rather than anywhere else, um, either under the business solutions to you or under me personally. Wonderful. Kathy, is there a final message you'd like to leave with our listeners today? It is be the whole of you, no matter, no matter how scary that may seem or feel. When you are the whole of you, people can relate to you and most importantly, you give them permission to actually do exactly the same. Remember, it's actually our actions, not our words that actually create greater impact. And most importantly, as you rise, elevate those around you. Wonderful. Love it. Kathy, it's been an absolute pleasure to hear all about it. So thank you so much for coming on today. I appreciate you. Until the next time. Thank you, Pete. It's actually been a joy. Um, And uh, honestly, I have felt so comfortable. um, And I have been the whole of me. And that's the that's the only way you should be so well done <laughs> that's right thank you pete thank you well that was another great episode of fire in the belly you know this really wouldn't be possible without a great guest taking the time to share their personal journeys and boy boy sometimes it is personal it's an absolute pleasure to have that and then to hear the journeys that people have been on we've loads more episodes coming up soon and it's always a pleasure to have guests on if you do happen to know anyone with true fire in their belly please reach out to us so we can share their journey, lessons and successes. So all that's left to say is have a great day, live with fire in your belly and be the mightiest version of you.